Thank you for listening to Draw Near with Fred and Kara. And we're really excited about today's episode because we have a wonderful guest today. And she's the author of several books, one of which we get to talk about today. And I promise you it's going to change your life. Um, She's a Catholic speaker and she's from the South, so you're going to love her accent. (laughs) Um, But she's also known as the Bible study evangelista. So today we have as a guest, Sonia Corbett. Sonia, thank you for joining us. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself other than being from the South? I know you have this really wonderful, I think like Fred, you are a convert to the faith. You have this really wonderful um, story of coming into the faith. And I know that's also a part of what you talk about in the book and we'll get into that more, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I am a convert of 15 years now and um, that sort of was a what I call a perfect storm. I um we experienced a couple of church splits in our little country church, our little Mm -hmm. family um, church. And it was so devastating that because of what I knew in the scriptures about how God provides for his leaders and his people, I knew that there was something wrong fundamentally with the way Protestantism is set up and the churches are set up. So I began this sort of exploration of the Reformation and Martin Luther and his writings. And what I discovered is that that was a church split. And so that just sort of ripped the whole faith rug out from under me. And and I sort of went down this rabbit hole. And my formation had been at that point on proper submission to authority. And so I saw in Martin Luther what I was doing and what the people in our church had been doing as demonic, because that's what the Bible says it is. Uh, Division and rebellion is demonic. And so because of my own behaviors and all that correction that I had experienced with the Lord one-on-one in in my daily quiet time, I knew that that was just wrong. So then I had to try to be okay with what the church taught. So it it was what I call a perfect storm. But it was the greatest gift that God ever gave me, his church, the Eucharist. And um, so that was 15 years ago. And then I I just sort of plunged in to doing in the church what I had been doing as a non-Catholic, which was teaching the scriptures topically. So topical Bible studies. And then, you know, the rest is history, I guess. That's awesome. Awesome. That's something the church definitely needs, I, I feel like, more of. I yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah, it was very similar for me, just seeing Martin Luther, and uh, you talk about it in the book, his father issues, for lack of a better word, but it's how I've often referred to it, almost sort of vomited out onto the church. Yep. Rather rather than... That's what our wounds do, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I can just so relate to that. Yeah. Well, we had the pleasure of meeting you uh, in August. You were our speaker at our local women's conference. And I think Fred and I both walked away. We were mm. like, I needed to hear every part of that. Yes, so it yeah. was fantastic. It's funny because like, coordinating the women's conference, is it's in my job description. And you'd be surprised like how much flack I get some t- from time to time because <laughs> I'm a man coordinating a women's conference. Yeah. You know? But at the same time, it was like, Honestly, that was probably the most impactful that I can remember yeah. of hearing a speaker speak yeah. about any topic. Um, I don't think I've ever walked away with as much from mm-hmm. that as I did that day. So I don't know. I felt I felt more blessed than 
any man in the diocese that day getting you know, to I, come I, or what? <laughs> I, well, I, I like was, to tell people, hey, if yeah. I have to go through all that, so do you. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, yeah. That day I was blessed among women. So that was fantastic. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, thanks That's to funny. God. Yeah. That's funny. Well, we're going to get more into kind of what some of those topics in your book are specifically um, as we talk more. But um, it was all about really you know, talking about our personal deserts and going through this desert experience of, of the Israelites in the Exodus and pulling that wisdom from scripture. It was fantastic. But I feel like, honestly, it's a book that so many people need to read because not so many people, everyone, because I feel like everyone is going to go through a personal desert at some point in their life. They will, because you say, you know, God's ways are desert ways. So you will. Sony promises. God promises. <laughs> um, and so I feel like this, this, book is honestly great for our time because, you know, sometimes we get so bogged down and we don't know what we're supposed to do or whether it's with a lack of spiritual life or in the spiritual life. And so how do we kind of come out of that and what is God trying to bring out of that? And it's a topic I feel like we all need to read. So it's fantastic. The book is called Just Rest. I don't even know if we've said the name of the book, but the book is called Just Rest and it is fantastic and it, and it goes through scripture. So I think that's one thing like we talked about, you know, the church needs more of that. We need to dive deeper into scripture. And that's what I loved so much about it is it's not just opinions of Sonia. It's, you know, this is what God teaches us. And in yeah. fact, it's interesting because part of why I wanted to offer it is because the Bible itself emphasizes that exodus over and over and over and mm-hmm. over again. And so we, it is common to all of us. And because of that, it applies to all of us. And we really need to know, we need to know that stuff. God says himself in Hebrews that he left that story for us and all of all of the, what they went through as a template because mm-hmm. he knows we're going to all be in the desert. So yeah, even for, as far back as I can remember, I didn't care what anybody else said. I don't care about your opinion. I don't care about any of that. I want to know what God's word says because that is authoritative. That is what's going to give us life. So mm-hmm. I that's a a big deal for me as well. I don't, I don't care what people say. It's not that people don't have good things to share. It's that it's not authoritative necessarily. It's not going to change your life necessarily, but you know, the Bible will, you know, the scriptures are the word of God. They are living and powerful and incisive. And that's what we need. We need something that's going to transform us. Right. Mm. That's what is so good about all of that in the scriptures, that whole Exodus story. Right. We need we need things that are rooted and going back to the word of God, not just what we are saying. And the church teaches it, too, in the catechism that the scriptures are the basis and should be of every catechetical teaching. Yes. Mm. Um, So can you kind of give a little bit of a of a summary, I guess, of kind of what the book goes into with the Exodus and the desert and rest and how all of that kind of ties in? Yes. So the the text of the study is, it comes from Hebrews and it came to me in a time when I had been what I call benched from ministry. I had nothing, I was not serving anywhere. And because of my Protestant uh, upbringing, I felt like I was not using my gifts. And so it felt disobedient to remain in this non-doing state. And so I went to God and I said, you know, I, I, what am I, what's happening? And this was at the time when our church had split for the second time. We left that church because there was obviously something terribly wrong. 
and we hid in a mega church and at that time all of the places of service that I would usually operate in were full mm -hmm. and so I went to God and I said what am I supposed to do and he said I want you to learn to rest and I said I'm not tired yeah. I, need, I need to be doing something and he said no I want you to learn to rest and he used that Exodus I mean uh, Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 to teach me and tell me you don't know what rest is so we, I went back to the Exodus to see what is he saying here. And as I studied that Exodus, what I discovered is I was not at rest. I was physically inactive in my gifts and in service, but I was, I was angry. I was afraid. I was in such emotional turmoil for lots and lots of reasons. Most of it that had to go back, uh, that went back to my woundedness, but I didn't really know that at the time. All I knew, I was really, really angry and I was afraid. And so through the Exodus, what, what he began to show me is that whole Exodus was meant to teach the people how to rest in him because God is rest himself. The promised land then is inner Sabbath rest. And we, we rest, God wants us to rest in our thoughts, in our emotions, in our bodies, and our souls. Rest is a whole person idea. It's not inactivity. <clears throat> so as, as he began to show me that they had not, they did not know how to rest in their thoughts, emotions, body, and soul, I recognized that I wasn't resting. And then you go through the process with him of learning how to do that. And we do that through his word in following the difficulties that they had. Those were just basic needs. They didn't have water. They didn't have food. They didn't have good leadership or they didn't think they did. And they didn't have entertainment, you know, all that kind of stuff that, that we deal with. And so God led them through each of those difficulties and they were meant to trust him in each of those to provide. But instead they complained. They didn't like the water they got. They didn't like the food they got. They didn't like the leader they had. They didn't, they wanted distraction and, and all of that that we experience. And so God was trying to lead them and they just were too stubborn. It's not that they were stupid. You know, we read that and I have heard so many times and I've said it to myself, what is wrong with these people? Mm -hmm. You know, but we are those people. No. We complain when we don't get what we think we need we experience this deprivation and immediately we get scared. And instead of going to God with that fear, we start to flail around in that fear and that negativity. And all that does is bring more of it to us in order to help us learn. But we don't learn. We don't learn and they didn't learn. So if we can learn from their mistakes, we can we can operate differently in our own deprivation and our own fear. And then we learn to rest in our thoughts and our emotions and our bodies and our souls. And that is the Sabbath rest. That's what God wants for us. And he often brings us to an understanding of that rest through desert ways. That's the only way. That yeah. is the only way. And when we pray our rosary and we talk about that desert valley of tears, that's what the whole, this whole life is meant to teach us to rest in deprivation and trust God in it without a demand of how it has to, the provision has to come, the timing or the substance of the provision. Just open yourself to the fact that he will provide and let him do it however he wants to do it. And that's when the relationship with God takes on this absolute roller coaster thrill 
and you realize he is true to his word. But we can't learn that unless we are deprived, unless we're okay. afraid. And so the desert is where that happens. And that's why everyone experiences a desert. Our whole lives really are meant to teach us how to rest in the desert. Sonia, the, the book felt extremely prophetic or to mm -hmm. borrow the Protestant phrase, I still love a word in season. <laughs> uh, you know, I think especially coming out of the pandemic and coming out of the COVID shutdown and what that experience was like for many of us, it just seems very timely. And I know you mention it many times in the book because that's when you were writing the book is going through that like, like so many of us were. What was that process of, of writing this book like? Well, it's, it was really, really difficult. And I'm not sure why, to be honest. It, all of my studies come out of teachings that I have offered either through a class or a podcast. And so mm -hmm. I had the structure already kind of put together. But as I was writing it, the constraint of the word count was so short <laughs> mm -hmm. that I had a really hard time trying to put all of the information together in a way that was organized and that made sense. And so I got, I got within a month of my deadline and I still didn't have it written and I, mm -hmm. I didn't even have it organized. It was so mm -hmm. difficult. And I remember, I, I mean, I was really panicking. I was like, how, how am I going to get this done? And yeah. I was using using Scrivener for the first time. It's a software, and what's so good about that is that you can take entire chunks, sections of the of your writing, and just move it. And so, I mean, I did that over and over until I had the layout of the thoughts, emotions, body, and soul. And once I had that, then it started to flow. But it was really, really difficult. And and I I sensed and knew at that time that it was probably partly a spiritual attack, but also just trying to get my mind around how to present this in a fresh way. It really was very, very difficult, but I was very pleased with how it, how it came out. I wish I'd have had more time, but because I had, I did have the word limit, I don't think there was any other way I could have presented it. So it turned out the way I think it should have, um, yeah. but I certainly did not have that in mind to begin with. It, it was really arduous. I panicked. Mm -hmm. I really did. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I have, a, I'm curious, like, I know you talked about um, going through that experience of writer's block, even writing this particular book. Were there any experiences of dew? You talk a, a lot about the dew in the desert and like that's God's gift and, and what he wants to give to us. W were there any experiences of dew while writing the book? There were. One of them was I had master class. Um, on my Netflix or Prime, I can't remember, and I I watched every single masterclass I could find on writing, just to sort of kind of get myself in that zone again. But the other thing was the transformation exercise that I offer in the emotional chapter of the book. When yeah. I did that, that's when I really had the assurance, and I knew with my head, I knew that it would be fine, and it, it would it would finally roll at some point, mm -hmm. but that exercise was so, it was, oh, it really was due because I knew at, at that point it was going to be okay. I just needed to keep pushing through. And as I did that, as I was obedient, I, I still hated every single thing I wrote, but at least I was getting it out 
And so then I was able to organize and then it started to really roll. So those two things probably were the best. And, and I, I can't say I got anything really new from the master classes, except just keep writing, just keep yeah. doing yeah. it. <laughs> and I kept showing right. up and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so awful. But, yeah. you know, but then you go back and, and, and you read it and go, okay, well, it wasn't that bad, you know, so. Right. Can you explain uh, what that, because I loved that visualization exercise. And I think honestly, like the book itself is fantastic, but I mean, I cried at the end of almost every chapter because you have to take that, your Lexio method and then this visualization method. It was just also beautiful. And, and so if you actually engage in that and pause and pray with it, I think it can be very transformative. Just, I, I loved it. So can you explain kind of what your visualization uh, process is for our listeners? Okay. So first of all, it's very scientific. Um, if you know anything about sports, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, who bless his soul, um, a lot of those, um, a lot of sportsmen will say they use visualization to help them visualize taking their shots perfectly. Mm. Or another way that, that it's used is in medicine where um, people who have, say, cancer, they use it in, in cancer therapies to help people accept, we'll say, their disease. Um, mm. Not in a way that invites it to stay, but that transforms it. So um, it works like this. So you enter into the Holy Spirit's presence and you visualize with him what the difficulty looks like. If it were a symbol, what would the symbol be? What is the picture? And you sit with the Holy Spirit in his presence and you sort of, you allow the emotion of what you're feeling and going through to sort of take form in a picture. And then you ask the Holy Spirit to transform that picture for you. Holy Spirit, please give me a transforming picture. And as you sit in his presence, it, that, that picture seeking, it bypasses the verbal part of our brains, the logical part, because the brain actually processes information as pictures first with emotion. So when you bypass the verbal part, you skip the judgment. The judgment is where all the difficulty, everything gets stopped up and blocked. So if you can bypass that and go directly to the emotion, the picture of it, that's what the Holy Spirit helps us do. And then he gives us that transforming picture, which is basically the Holy Spirit giving his, his perspective on what we're experiencing. So you can do that two ways, verbally through the, the word of God, which he'll do every day in the readings, but you can also do it visually through that transforming picture. And once you get his perspective on what you're going through, suddenly you go, oh, and -hmm. it helps you accept it by taking on his point of view and then you can cooperate with it rather than resist it. That's where the difficulty in the block comes in is the resistance. So that visualization technique then helps you get beyond the verbal to the visual. And once you have God's perspective on your situation, everything changes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you're supposed to add a word, right? Or as few words to title the images? As few words as possible. Once you get the transforming picture, well, actually in both cases. So you have the difficulty, the, the picture of your your difficulty and what you're going through. And then you name it with as few words as possible. And then when you get the transforming picture from the Holy Spirit, then you name that with as few words as possible. And then you compare the two side by side and you ask, 
okay, what am I meant to, to see here? What am I meant to learn? What do I, what am I meant to know? And yeah. the words actually help you with that a little bit, but just comparing the two is it's, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit yeah. uses that. I loved that. And I liked mm-hmm. how you focused into on don't question it. Just trust that the Holy Spirit is bringing something because like all of our listeners know I'm a very visual person when I pray. And so this, I was really excited to actually do this. And then when I sat down and, and asked, it was just like black. That's all I saw. It was just black. And so I was trying to pray with that. I was like, okay, am I just not picturing anything or is this what you're trying to show me? And it just kept, it was just black. So I just kept praying with that and, and the word, um, empty kept coming. Yes. And so I drew it, like you said, and so I drew it and it was empty. And then like, I tried to pray back through it and it was like, it was actually really cool. It was like, there was this tiny little speck of light and it just like came really, really close to my face and got bigger and bigger. And then the word was hope. Oh my word. It was just so cool. Like it, because it is hard to trust what you're seeing. It's like, okay, all I'm seeing is black behind my eyelids. It's like, no, that's the picture, Kara. Just trust me. You know, it was fantastic. The first time I tried it, I was completely blown away with how fast it it worked. And so I thought, all right, well, that's just me because I'm really visual too. So I I tried it on my husband and he did it. He was having really a lot of difficulty in his job. And when I asked him about that, he said he saw a fire. Everything was in flame. And I said, what's the word? And he said, hell on earth. And I said, okay, so ask the Holy Spirit for a transforming picture. He got the picture. It was water. It was just water flowing. And I said, okay, what's the word there? And he said, everyone is thirsty. Oh, and wow. we just, we both were like, oh my gosh. So it wasn't just me because he's, he's, you know, I don't know. It was just amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I got yeah. goosebumps. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, can you talk uh, specifically about your four steps in Lexio? Because I think it was I mean, that was honestly so beautiful to be able to go back to, okay, the chapter I just read, pause and just not move on to the next chapter and think through it and let God work in that. Can you explain maybe how that came to you or how that's impacted your own life? That came to me from Mary herself. I, I went to confession with my bishop and he told me this was during either an Advent or a Lenten penance service. And he said, the measure of your Catholicism is the measure of your relationship to Mary. And I remember just going, oh, that's not what I'm here for, Bishop. You know, and it was a little bit offensive. You know, I thought that has nothing to do with my confession, but it stuck. And so I then sort of embarked on this, this quest to know Mary more. And I went to her and I asked her, what do you want me to know the most about you? And the number one thing she showed me was her love for the scriptures. Mm-hmm. The angel comes to her and she's in her practice of listening, her yeah. daily prayer practice of listening. She listens to the, the word of God through the angel. She observes her relationships and circumstances. She knows exactly how that word applies. She gets up and she goes to visit Elizabeth mm-hmm. and she verbalizes to God what she thinks she heard from him in prayer and then she entrusts it to him. So L is listen, O is observe, V is verbalize, and E is entrust. And when she showed me that, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Because <laughs> what I realized is she was trying to connect with me on, except for my motherhood and my, and my marital vocation. <laughs> the only other place that affects me as deeply is the scriptures. 
and she yeah. connected with me right there. And when I saw how much she loves the word, I was so struck by that because I could see that she wanted to be friends with me. She wanted to connect with me. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So mm -hmm. L is listen, O is observe, V is verbalize, and E is entrust. May it be done to me according to your word. If I we're not that. in the scriptures on a daily basis, how are we going to be able to say that with her? Yeah. Amen. And how are we going to hear God's voice? That is his voice. Absolutely. Yeah. And we listen first. You know, we think of prayer as saying stuff. But Mary shows us that we start with listening. Yeah. Mm. And you actually have a book on this topic, right? Pray Like Mary, I believe it's called. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. So we'll leave a link in the yeah. show notes for yeah. that, Karen. Yeah. As, as you're sharing all that, because the one thing you stress is the importance of making this a lifestyle of always like this being a regular routine, a part of our life. And you tie in the power of thought there and how thought creates our reality. And I'm remembering the, the Andrew Newberg um, quote you have in there where he's talking about um, the more you focus on something, the more that becomes your reality. Um, could you maybe speak to that e even more? Just like how y you reference like how we're co-creators with God and part of that is in our thinking and how our thinking becomes reality. And I don't know, I, I'm just all that is coming to mind as you were describing that writing process. And I don't, I don't know if you want to, speak to that a little bit so basically <clears throat> there are two kinds of faith there's the higher faith the theological virtue and then there's this lower faith that most of us operate in all the time and we don't realize it so our thoughts then are what we spend time on what we spend time thinking about and the more you think about something the more you emote about it and the more you think and emote about something the more it comes to be it is and it's not just me I mean the scriptures are full of that idea but the science that I that I offer there in the book the quantum mechanics and and mm -hmm. it, it's an actual thing and mm -hmm. it's true because of what the Bible says about faith faith creates everything and if we're operating in the lower faith, then we're thinking about the negative parts. This is hard. This is painful. This is difficult. And you, you emote about it. You think about it and you mull over it. And the more you do that, the more, the more you experience that because that's what your focus is on. So if we can, if we can get that transformation from the Holy Spirit, we can ben, begin focusing on the, the hope and the faith and the love, and that's what brings that into being. So we're focusing on, on the goodness, on the, the possibility. The possibility is always there, but we're not, we don't usually focus on that part. So if we can get our faith on that higher faith, the, the virtue of faith, rather than living in the negativity, then we are expecting and anticipating expect is probably not a good word because that has some um that has some demand in it but anticipation mm -hmm. then is allowing the holy spirit to bring whatever he's going to bring without demanding that it be a certain way and so when we open ourselves to that anticipation and hope and believe that he's going to do something without without stipulating what that has to be then all of the possibilities they exist at one time. And so mm -hmm. we can allow that then to enter into our experience rather than shutting down everything but one thing, which is the negativity. I, I, that probably did not make any sense at all. Yeah. But the scriptures are full 
of how our thoughts create our reality. Jesus was full of it. Paul was full of it. It's, and it shows us throughout the Exodus that what they concentrated on, this negativity, is what they continued to receive. And that's because God wants us to grow out of that. So, yeah, the whole thoughts, controlling our thoughts is very, very important. I love that. And I loved that connection in the Exodus where it was like, you know, the manna came down and it tasted like everyone's thoughts. And then throughout the time, throughout their time in the Exodus, that it became bitter because they were bitter. So like Mm. their thoughts were what controlled it all. I loved that connection. It was great. I love how you frame this, though, because it's you, you emphasize this point where it's not just the secret, the power of positive thinking right you know sort of a thing but it's also coming from uh for those that might not be familiar coming from the protestant word of faith movement which is that was my world that's where i came from the the name it claim it you know uh you shall proclaim a thing and it shall come to pass sort of holding god as a slave to my own often childish selfish interpretation of scripture um you fix that you know, because I, I remember like in those days, if, if somebody would ask you, hey, how are you doing? And if you said something negative, it, it oftentimes it would be met with, well, that's a negative confession, you know, and that would just be really annoying because they and it not helpful because, you know, they would they'd say God proclaims a thing and it shall come to pass. So do we, you know that. But God also calls things that be what they be. You know, and I think that's a point you make in in the book. And I don't know that you can't just proclaim that you're not that you're doing okay, and then you're doing okay. Yeah, you have to be honest, otherwise you're actually making the fear and the doubt and the anxiety bigger. Yes, and that is exactly where we get in trouble. When we when we get a little bit of of this truth, and we realize that our that our thoughts really are driving us. Then we try to psych ourselves out and fake ourselves out into just saying what's positive. The problem there, though, is that we don't really believe it and we don't feel that. So rather, what we must do, that's why the transformation of the perspective is so important, either through the Word of God or through that transforming picture. Because if we don't really believe it, we still emote negatively, even though we're speaking positively. Mm-hmm. So it's the combination of the uh, faith-filled thoughts combined with the truth of what we're feeling. And until we have God's perspective on what is happening, we can't have both of those. If they're not aligned, it's not true faith. We have to have the positive thought, the hopeful thought, the faith-filled thought, along with the belief, the true belief that this is what God wants for us. And we can't have that until he gives it to us. So we have to seek his face there and we have to have that transformation of our emotion as well. Otherwise we are still feeling afraid while we're confessing the positive. (laughs) So they have to line up. It's that, it's that misalignment, that disorder in ourselves that causes all the issues, the, the negativity and the fear when we're operating in fear, <clears throat> there really are only two emotions, love and fear. Everything else comes from those two. So if we're operating in fear, then we're going to get more things that cause that fear in order to teach us how to work through the fear with the Holy Spirit. So if we can get the thoughts and the emotions lined up, that is true faith. And that is mm-hmm. where everything explodes. Everything happens 
because it's aligned with God's will. When we mm -hmm. have his perspective, we have his will. We know where to turn with our thoughts and emotions, and we know how to cooperate with that. So, yeah, I think we're probably, it's a little bit disjointed for people, but the whole point of the Exodus is to help us get our thoughts, emotions, our bodies, and our souls aligned with the will of God so that God can bring us to the promised land, yeah. whatever mm -hmm. that is for each of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think uh, one thing I'm interested to hear kind of, Fred, what you took from the book. Um, one thing that I took, this is probably, I'm a doer, I'm a fixer. Like, so when either God gives me a promise or if there's a problem in my life, like I want to fix it. And I'm like, you know, strategic planning of what's the best way to go about doing this. And so one of the biggest things that I took away was just when you were talking about how God's promised land is a gift. And when the people, you know, they feared it and they didn't accept the gift, then they didn't enter it. But when they tried to do it themselves, they failed because we can't force God's hand to give us a gift. And I just realized like, I'm trying to force God's hand. Like it, it kind of revealed to me a little bit of mistrust in God. You know, he, he gives promises and maybe he gives promises that are big and some that are really small, but I'm just like, God, I trust in you. Now, what can I do to do it? Yes. And so it just showed me that I really didn't trust fully in God. And so that was probably my favorite part because I think it, it kind of revealed within my own heart a little mistrust that I had in, in God's own promises for us. Well, that was actually the hardest lesson for me to learn because yeah. I'm a doer as well. And the, the Bible is full of how we have to work with God. Yeah. So, but what happens is we take over and we, we do put the strategic plan in place and we're working at it. And when he doesn't help us or we don't think he's helping us, that's where we get really angry. And that anger and that fear is, that's the telltale sign that we're trying to obligate him to give us the thing that is meant to be a gift. And that was, that yeah. took me the longest to come to understand. And that was from my own woundedness. I I tried so hard to make it happen on my own and when God would not give it to me and in fact it wasn't just that it wasn't happening it it was obvious mm -hmm. that he was he was deliberately thwarting every single effort and I got so mad I'm yeah. I'm like if this is a true promise what are you doing and finally I had to come to the realization that I was trying to force him to give me the gift. And once I realized that, it, it really broke my heart because it was such a deep, it was part of that very, very deep father wound where my dad would, would he would renege on a promise. Over and over that happened to me and I learned if you want something really badly, you better just know that it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And and that was conditioning in me that God really wanted to root up. And in order to do that, he was doing that to me over and over mm -hmm. until I came to that realization that I can't earn it. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. a very fine line. Earning yeah. and receiving is a very fine line that God has to reveal to us. And that happens in the desert and it is very painful, but it is so freeing. Yeah. I like the connection with the fear because I think so often it's like we can say, okay, God, we trust you. But then you said that there are two different emotions, love and fear. And so 
when I was kind of trying to to pray with this, like one of the things in your Lexio method is what do I fear or what do I need to give to God? And so that was, I think that was the very first chapter. And so I was trying to kind of meditate on that. And then, you know, I cried because I cried at every chapter, but I thought it was really beautiful by the end of the, the entire book. It was just like, I'm fearful. That's why I'm not trusting you. And like when you can reach that rest, not that I've reached it, I have a lot of work to do there. When you can reach that rest, it's, letting go of the fear that I have to do this and just loving God because God loves you and he's going to bring that promise if we let him and if we stop fearing because I liked the connection with Job what I fear most comes to pass like that happens if we just constantly are are fearful of it we're not loving God well and we're not trusting in God and that's why it comes to pass yes and Mm -hmm. and that's the that's the point it's not that God is trying to hurt us or scare us It's that he knows that those fears are rooted very, very deeply and they're very, very old. They go back to when we're very, very young. And so he, the, the fear, the deepest fear that we have, he, he puts his finger in there because he, he wants to heal us of that. I mean, all throughout the scriptures, God allows us to get to that point to show us that he's there. He's there and that we don't have to be afraid. It's, it's, it's scary, but what I have also found is that the things that I imagine that can happen, that's not what he's, he's trying, that's not even realistic, you know? Yeah. It's the other stuff underneath that we, don't, that we don't know about and can't discern that he's after. And so yeah. we're in situations in the desert that provoke that greatest fear, but we don't know what the greatest fear is. We think we do but he puts his finger on what that really is in the desert. And if we'll trust him through it, he'll heal that. And then we don't have it anymore. It's not lurking under the surface of absolutely every single thing we're doing. Yeah. I love that. I know you had a question, Fred, about if, if we're meant to do something. <laughs> yeah. This, this was a question that really stuck with me in the book and it, it's your own question. It's your own words. And in fact, on our, our last episode, we, we did, we had, we talked about finding your vocation and, living the call to holiness and, you know, that struggle. And this was the question I posed in that to our guest for that one too, is should it really be this hard if it was something I was supposed to do? I don't know, that that question just really, it's still sticking with me, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think um, it goes to the promise that God gave you and just you just felt like he kept taking it. Like, what was that like going through that, feeling like this is something I'm supposed to do, you've told me, why is it so hard? Oh my gosh, that was the most brutal part. It really yeah. was because I I sincerely believed that God had spoken to me. And so if that's true, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Mm-hmm. And he said plainly to me, I'm not doing it to you. I'm doing it for you. And I was like, I mean, double middle fingers there because <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't understand that at all, you know, mm-hmm. but... If you look at every single person in the scriptures that had a true call from God, Moses, Abraham, David, Joseph, all of those people went through this process of Mm -hmm. receiving the promise from God and, and extended at least a decade. God always, it takes at least a decade to form us in that rest because we have our own ideas about how things are supposed to be. And our promised land, you know, we just want that thing. And yet God wants something much deeper 
He wants that inner Sabbath rest for us, and that cannot happen without this absolute, it's a brutal transformation, but it takes a long time. And so we we just have to continue to believe. It's it's the truth of that that promise that helps us get through the difficulty of it. Yeah. And honestly, we're not able, we're, we don't have the capability of operating properly and fruitfully is probably a better word in the promised land until we have that transformation. We're still working in our own flesh. God has to get us to where we're living in the spirit. And in order to do that, we have to trust him with absolutely every single aspect of what's happening in our ministry. And that can't happen until we have learned he is going to provide in every single situation. As long as I keep my demands at bay and just allow him to do whatever it is he wants to do, he does provide. But we have to learn that the hard way, right. step by step, precept by precept. So yes, it's hard and it must be hard. And we have to lean into the hard knowing that that is part of the process. And if we have that, it helps us. It's like the, the carrot, you know, it helps us get to the promised land because the promised land is the promise. Right. I, I had written down one of the questions I'd planned to ask you. It says, what advice would you give to someone who knows they are in a time of transition? This could be one of those asking for a friend sort of questions. Uh, trying to be faithful to where they are, but knowing something greater was just barely ahead. Like, you can see the promised land from where you are. I would say never, never, never give up. Because every single obstacle is a stepping stone, and it's a something necessary is learned at, at that place. Every single stepping stone, there is a necessary lesson that helps you live fruitfully in that promised land. You can't skip it. You can't hurry it. You have to let the process play out. We are organic processes. It's like if you have, like right now, it's fall. You see a tree and lots of trees in your yard and you have this beautiful landscaping and the, the grass is so green. The trees begin to drop their leaves and they make a mess all over your yard. You don't go out to the tree and say, you stupid tree, what are you doing? right? Because the tree is just doing what the tree naturally does. <laughs> so you have to allow yourself to be in that natural organic process, trusting that the tree will lose every one of its leaves. It will be naked and cold, but it will be beautiful in its season. You have to allow the season to play out knowing that the spring will come the summer will come and the promise is on its way. The promise is what gets us through the, the process that's so hard and so long. So that is that was is what I would say. Don't give up. Don't give up. Hang on to that promise, knowing that it that God's word never fails. He never tells us something that's not true. And so just let the process be. Amen. Isaiah fifty five eleven comes to mind. <laughs> I'll let everybody look that one up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, Fred, uh, asking for a friend, what <laughs> was your experience or takeaway when reading Just Rest? Honestly, I'm it was probably the value in just being honest with God about our fears. Because I, I think I tend to be with someone, and maybe it's Protestant baggage that's still hanging with me from that sort of word of faith, name it, claim it sort of idea that I talked about earlier, where 
somehow I have this anxiety that admitting my fear is a lack of faith, that there's something in me that's not good enough if I admit that I'm afraid, that if I admit that I have worries or doubts or anxieties, that I have weaknesses or failures, and that's just not a good thing because that's, that's not being honest with God. He wants us He wants us to come to that place where we realize, no, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm not the right, I don't have the gifts to do this, but that's exactly why you've called me to do it. Um, like so, Paul. Exactly. <laughs> I think so, too yeah. that that's the, <clears throat> when I finally, when I finally said to God exactly how I really felt, which was, you're jerking me around, you don't care, you don't love me, and you gave me this promise to make fun of me for trying. Mm-hmm. And when I finally came to, to understand that that was my real fear, and I actually said that to God, and I did. I mean, I stood out in my yard and I was screaming. I was, there was snot everywhere. I was bawling my eyes out. <laughs> and I said, I am done. I am done trying to do this. And he said, finally, finally. Mm-hmm. And when I was really, really honest about what my fears actually were, not the, the pretend, you know, when I, when I was really honest, that's when everything changed. And mm-hmm. so God wants us to get to the point of understanding what our real fear is and giving it completely to him. That's what he transforms. That fear, we're not, we don't always know what that really is. We just know it's lurking back there somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. but he pulls that right up to the surface with the deprivations that we experience in the desert. And when it comes to the surface, that's when we take it to him. When we have that awareness, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And what he means there is without awareness, without consciousness, we cannot be free. So he pulls all of that stuff up in the, in the desert so that we're aware of what they, the fear really is and where it comes from and where our woundedness lies so that we can give that to him. Because once that is healed, we can be truly fruitful in the spirit and not working in our flesh. But that's a hard, long process. What's so good, though, is if you look at that, that account in the Exodus, it really does shorten it because you know what's happening and you relax into the difficulty and the, the length of time that it takes. And the more you can lean into that, the faster it goes. So that's really why I wrote it, to help yeah. people kind of get through it, you know. Right. So you said, you know, you <clears throat> walked out into the, the yard and you're like, I'm done. What's that? Uh, what's the difference or maybe what's the balance of like trusting in God, stop trying to be a doer and a fixer and and like, the patient waiting and trusting versus I'm still supposed to work with God. You know what I mean? Like I can't just sit on my couch and be like, well, why aren't you doing anything? Because it still is going to require response from me. So how can you understand that? Like what is mine to do and, or what's me taking over and not trusting God? The key is when you don't get what you expect, you're still at rest. Knowing that that, that, that for some reason, that that's part of his plan and that the, it's going someplace. So you do what you know to do. It's the same as when Thomas Aquinas talks about grace builds on nature. 
You do what's in your nature. You do what's according to your personality and temperament. You do what's according to your strategy and your plan. But if it doesn't work out and the door shuts, then you wait patiently for the door, another door to open. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. It's the emotion that we experience when the door is closed. <laughs> when the door yeah. closes, are we pissed off? Are we scared yeah. to death? You know, or are we resting knowing that the other door will open in the right time? So right. we may need to change our approach. And so we do that in prayer and we operate in what we know to do at the time. And then we wait, we wait on him to show us the right direction. And if yeah. we can do that and still remain at rest, then we're in the right place. As you said that, I was picturing, like, I think oftentimes, and, and I know there's been times in my life where it's been like this, but I also know people that, you know, I, I've been talking to that are experiencing things like this. Like, when that door shuts, they get out the axe and try to chop down another one, only to find a brick wall there. Um, that's the image that I had in mind there. And so, speaking to that, I think this next question would relate to that imagery. What advice would you give to someone who they feel like they're just on a wheel of desolation. Like the, the repeating process for them is, is God, God's not speaking. They don't even know what they want in their life. Whole lot of desert. They, <laughs> they don't even know what they desire anymore. It just feels like they move from desolation to desolation. I would say what God told me in that time, which is that is part of the process of prayer and the desolation and the darkness and the emptiness is God himself. And resisting that means that we're resisting God. If mm. you can embrace that darkness, and, and it's so uncomfortable, it's so uncomfortable, but if you can get your mind around the fact that God is in that darkness, and this is not a Sonyaism, this is John of the Cross, God himself is that darkness. And if you can embrace that darkness, like the darkness that fell on Christ on the cross, the whole earth was dark for a period of time. And, and if you can imagine that was God the Father embracing his son as he hung there on the cross, if you can lean into the darkness and accept it, and not only accept it, but will it with God, mm. that's the difference. Everything yeah. changes at that point, but it's very, very hard because it is painful but that's a purifying pain it's a purifying dark so it's mm -hmm. a process of prayer and and ultimately if you if you look back over the people in the scriptures they all went through that and it is yeah. part of the process of prayer but it purifies us and our wills and our love so we have to cooperate with it by just leaning in and just being as still as possible in the pain we were just talking about this yesterday it was actually like that from the very beginning um, in the very beginning of Genesis, we read the Spirit of God hovering upon the waters. In the Hebrew, it's tohu vavohu. It's a Hebrew lesson for today. Um, that's chaos and empty void. Yes. And yet the Spirit is there. And out of that chaos, out of that empty void, look what he creates. Look, what, Kara, your, your visualization from earlier mm -hmm. is exactly what's coming to mind. You found the hope. You found God in the black, yeah. in the empty. So. Yeah, it all comes right back to that, doesn't it? I just got the shivers. Yeah. 
I got the Holy Ghost bumps too. I'm not going to lie. So <laughs> well, I think you say too that the same word it, for that chaos and that void is also desert, can also mm. mean desert. So the Holy Spirit hovers within our desert and within our darkness. We just have to let him. And like when you say lean into it, it's not push back, not get angry, but l- like what is he trying to show me in the midst of all of this desolation? Well, we think the darkness and the pain cannot possibly be him, right. but it actually is. Right. And he's mm-hmm. giving himself to us in a different way. And the reason we, we have a hard time and we resist that is because it's so different from what we've known before. But it's necessary because God is not like anything we imagine. And so mm-hmm. we have to allow himself to give himself to us as he is and not how we perceive him to be. And that's often very, very different. Yeah. Um, I loved your take on your rest in your body and your soul. That was my favorite chapter because I'm really terrible at this and I feel very called and challenged to actually keep a Sabbath on Sunday and rest. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know like I feel like one of the things that really stuck out, I've I've said a lot of things stick out. It was an awesome book. You guys need to read it. Just rest. Um, But one of the things that stood out to me was – how God can remove everything that we're comfortable in because he wants to bring us to a place where we see him and we seek him in the, in the midst of this darkness. And you talked about COVID like that's what he did in COVID. He took away. And I I've even shared this in my own testimony. COVID was a very transformative time for me because it took away what I was comfortable with in my spiritual life, which was mass. And it made me seek God out more and in a very real way. And so I feel like you mentioned how COVID was this gift because God was giving you this sabbatical and that ties with our, what we're called to with our, our Sabbath rest. Can you talk a little bit about that? So that was probably the most concrete, practical thing that I learned through that whole thing about rest mm-hmm. was that the Sabbath that we are meant to keep with God, it, it's almost like keeping time with him, that literal physical rest is meant to also direct our thoughts to all that he has done in the past week and what he might want to do in the next week. So it's a time, it should be a time of great prayer, um, but it's necessary. It's necessary to us physically. And the Bible is actually full of, of warnings that when we don't keep the Sabbath with God properly, we burn out and we, we fall into slavery to sin again Mm -hmm. so our bodies and our souls need the break and if we are not keeping that sabbath the way we're supposed to there are just all kinds of built in it's part of natural law keeping sabbath so all kinds of consequences are built into not keeping it so i took that literally And I just began to just nothing. We do nothing on Sunday. To this day, that is probably, that is one of the number one things that I tell people, do that because it's practical. You can do it. It's not ethereal. It's not thoughts and emotions. It is a practical practice Mm -hmm. and you can do it every single week and watch how your spiritual life transforms by keeping God at the center of your week every single week. So your body needs it, your soul needs it, and God knows that. That's why he told us to do it. Yeah. I just went and got stuff for chili, so I'm throwing it on the crock pot tomorrow, and I'm not cooking on Sunday. (laughs) Yep. I do that to this day. That's great. So we've been talking about 
Just Rest with Sonia Corbett. I'm very, very pleased to have you and honored to have you as a guest. It is my thrill. Um, Sonia, if people want to hear more, where can they find you? They can find me at BibleStudyEvangelista.com or just search my name and it'll pop right up and Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever. Um, everything is there. The podcasts, the TV series, everything I do is right there. BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Great. Thank you. Thank you for being a guest with us Absolutely today. Absolutely my privilege. I love y'all.